This is Strange Assembly episode 108, the best four days in gaming that doesn't include L5R or me. Okay, 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 that was the last time that I am going to whine about not getting to go to Gen Con. This minute. We'll see. So... The lucky people who did get to go to Gen Con are Jay Earl. Hello. And Mike Cook. Hey. And I am the sad, sad panda Chris Stevenson. This is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. We are here to talk about Gen Con 2013 and all the things that Jay and Mike got to see, which hopefully will include many things that I am excited about, although... Let's just go right ahead and start with the one that we mentioned last time that Jay said was awesome and that he bought. And tell us about Firefly the game. Okay, so I managed to, I guess it was Thursday, get in a demo of it. I mean, it was like two turns. There were so many people who wanted in on that demo that basically you got two turns of play and then they made you get up and let other people play. But I knew from that that I definitely wanted a copy. So I managed Friday morning to get in right as they opened the doors, went right to their booth. I mean, they were going like hotcakes. They were, they were gone by 11, I think. So I, I was very lucky to get a copy. I've played it several times since then. Definitely a great game. And since you got it at Gen Con, you got like the little five, fifth player add-on? There's a fifth player add-on? No, it was... There's four player ships and then two non-player ships, the Reavers and the Alliance. Yes. And the Alliance ship is uh, what what you call uh, the fancy plastic. I don't know what you mean by fancy plastic. I haven't seen it. Never mind. It's it's fancy. That was, that was my understanding of the uh, <laughs> Gen Con special part of it. There was a fifth player ship, the uh, the Artful Dodger. It was in Game Trade Magazine 162. Oh, I did not know that. Which came out back in July, but I was under the impression that if you bought it at Gen Con, they were also giving you like that promo. At this point, I don't know, you might be able to go back and get the magazine, or it'll probably show up in the promo store on BoardGameGeek. These things usually do. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the the game. We'll I'm sure play it and do a full review. We will play we, we it. We will, yes. Oh, yes. Um so basically you it's a four player game or it's a one to four player game. Each player is playing a different fire uh, a different firefly going around the verse getting jobs to get money. One of the cool things as far as uh replayability is the goal to win the game, there are like five or six different options for what that is. Most of them are do this, then do that, do a bunch of missions to accomplish. But there's also, I mean, like, the one that we're doing at the demo and the one that I played the first couple of times with my friends because it was really straightforward is just first one to 12 grand says, when says hey, last call, Everybody gets another turn. Whoever has the most money wins. Basically, the way the game works, you've got a board, which is the verse. You've got a ship board, which has what your cargo is and any upgrades you've done to your ship. And you can fly around. You can go get missions from, like, Niska or Badger or Patience that can either be pickups and drop-offs or they can be misbehaving. (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot of misbehaving going on. But so also you can go around and you can buy crew members, buy gear, buy ship upgrades. So basically through the course of the game, you work jobs to get money, to get crew, to be able to do better jobs, to accomplish whatever the goal of the game, that specific game is. One of the fun things is... So you have your crew. The crew are relatively cheap. I mean, it's only like one to three hundred dollars for any given crew member to initially recruit them. 
But once they're on your ship, every time you do a job with them, you have to pay them a cut. So whatever that initial higher price is, you have to pay them again. But if you don't want to, if you don't have enough money, or you're just feeling like a jerk, you can make them disgruntled. So they won't be happy with you. Which means someone else can come along and pay their salary and recruit them. And if you get them too disgruntled, they'll just straight up leave your crew. So you start with a captain. Mal is one of the captains. All the rest of the Firefly crew are in the game as different cards. They're all pretty amazing. In fact, I've, I had one game with my friends where I got River and Simon, and it was just ridiculous combo. Well, those two specifically reference each other in some way, right? They do, yes. Well, Simon references River. So River is weird in that any... So to do you do a lot of skill checks to pass missions, and River is anytime you're going to go make a skill check, you first roll the die to determine which skills she has. You may be shooting, and she has diplomacy, so it's not that great. If you roll poorly, she just wanders back to the ship. If you roll really well, she gets your choice of skills. So Simon just straight up gives you a bonus to those rolls. Okay, well, we'll probably cover that uh, more heavily. So let's, so let me ask you, Mike, what, so out of, out of the new stuff that you played at, at Gen Con, what are you most excited about? Uh, that's that's tough. Um, probably the Pathfinder card adventure game. I really do like co-op stuff, and I do like stuff that's solo play, just in case I'm bored at home or whatever and don't feel like playing video games. The Pathfinder card game is it's pretty... It combines a whole bunch of things that have not really been combined in that way before, which ideally is basically what every board game does. But it does it in a very, very good way. It's pretty smooth. It takes a little bit to set up, but it's not terribly bad. It doesn't take a whole lot of table space. I've played through half of what you can get so far, because you can only you only get the base mission that comes in the box, and then the first adventure path, which also only comes in the box, so I don't know why they bother. I guess it was just because of how it came out and how the package did or something. I'm not sure. Right, there's a base set, and then there's one, like, character pack already, right? Correct, but then there's an advent, the Adventure Path pack, and that Adventure Path pack is literally in the same box as the character pack, but okay. it's just in the main box. Like, it doesn't come separately, it just comes in the main box. So it's like they have an expansion in the box. Right. Okay. Um, the main reason that you, I think that they do that is because... Very few cards do you keep separately, like the adventures you keep separately, the uh, heroes obviously you keep separately, but like the blessings, it's kind of like thinking of it as Thunderstone where you've got weapons and you've got items and all that type of stuff. Uh, the blessings are all kept, kept together and actually kept random, because whenever you draw a blessing, a lot of times you'll just draw a random blessing. So when you're going on the adventure path, what you actually do is you open the adventure path and you take all of those cards and mix all of them in with everything. And you do that with every adventure path that you add, and it's got enough room for all of the initial adventure paths. Yeah, now this is, am I, if I understand correctly, it's this weird sort of thing where it's like an LCG in that you can, the plan is for them to constantly come out with new product. And so you, you start off with a, like, right, you have a basic deck, and you have your character, and you have a card that's like a little character sheet, and you... You open up these things, you go through the adventure, and then as you go on the adventure, you might add cards or remove cards from your character's deck. And then after you're done with the mission, you can like basically save your game and and take your character, take the deck as it stands then, or you maybe you have to cut it back down so it meets the, meets the requirements or something like that. So you now have this somewhat customized deck, and you can just like save it in the box, and then you pull out the next mission, and so it's Right, it's it's in card form, like you're playing a role-playing game, R O L L, without you know any of the just just not the personal interaction stuff. Right, you know, I mean, it's straight up, it's somewhat similar to the Lord of the Rings card game, LCG card game from um, uh, from Fantasy Flight. There's a little bit of difference. I they both have their strengths and weaknesses. I think one of the big things for the Pathfinder card game is because everything is still dice rolls. You know, you go for average stuff, but it's real easy to overshoot things or undershoot things. So you say, you know what? My average is right at this. Well, that really means you only have a 50% chance of actually succeeding. 
So sometimes you really kind of want to overshoot things, but then when you've got like a D12 and just on that D12 before you roll anything else, you've succeeded at the challenge. It's like, wow, I kind of feel silly having used all this other stuff. But yeah, specifically the mechanic you're talking about with the advancement is that at the end of every adventure on the back of your character card is an exact list of what your deck's supposed to be. Not as far as like these cards are supposed to be in there, but for each of the classes like weapons, blessings, spells, whatever, there are a certain number of cards you can have in your deck. So like for the rogue deck, cannot start with, cannot have any spells in their deck at the end of the game. What you have to do after the adventure is over is you have to cull your deck back down so that it meets the requirements of the back of the card. Now, there are cards that not only will you uh, discard to do an effect, you'll actually banish them back to the box to do some kind of effect. If you have any of those missing, you can just go in any of the... They they have keywords, and any ones with the basic keywords you can pull back into your deck. The big kind of cool thing about this is, at the end of a group session, you can trade cards with each other. So if I got, like, a really good weapon that I can't use because it came up in the deck because that's how you explore, I can give it to the warrior, and he might be, you know, really happy about that. Hooray! Yeah, so it's very interesting. As far as how it comes out, yes, technically, but it's going to be one adventure pack every two months. So it's really not too much. Because I think the adventure packs are, like, 20 bucks. I I know it's not exactly the same thing. That just seemed like the closest... Comparison, yes. I mean, yeah, the, the biggest difference conceptually seems to be, yeah, the, the saved game advancing character. It's, mm-hmm. you're customizing your deck, but your deck customization is part of the, the meta aspect of the game in a, uh, I mean, it's much more, more directly part of the game than with a normal CCG or LCG where you could right. just, you know, take anything you want out of all your cards and throw them into right. the deck. Part of it's like what you basically what you encounter when you're playing the game, which makes it somewhat feel more like a role playing game. Um, if your GM doesn't give you any kind of options as to you know what what kind of weapons do you want, it's like oh what do you run into? Well you know maybe you don't actually get a chance at that weapon that you really want. The, there is some other progression in that there are they call them feats, but basically they're just boxes that you can check on the card itself where your character yourself actually gets better. Like you'll get plus one to a roll or plus two to a roll. Or you can actually increase what you can have in your deck. So you can act, the rogue can actually have one spell. But you only get those feats at the end of certain adventures. That's usually a reward for one of those. And not everyone, just some of them. Okay, that's the, uh, that's the Pathfinder adventure card game, right? Yes. Okay. Now, I, I would say there are, so we now hit two of them, but I would say that based on online presence at least, the four, there were four new games that seemed to have the most buzz around them. Firefly was one. Pathfinder was another. Trains is a third, although that's obviously not a, a brand new release. That's just a new to the U.S. release, and we've that's been been covered on Strange Assembly before. The fourth one is probably Star Trek Attack Wing. Did either of you guys have the chance to play that? No, but I played this. I mean, Star Trek Attack Wing. I'm sorry. Yes, Star Trek Attack Wing. No, but I have Star Wars. I know it's it's different, but, like, I think Star Wars is very well designed, but for some reason it just doesn't catch me, which is the weirdest thing for me to say, because I love X-Wing stuff and dogfighting, but that game just, I I don't know, I can't can't get into it, so I didn't really have any interest in Attack Wing. Yeah, I didn't play it. I did, however, see the giant version of it being played for a little bit. It was amusing to watch. (laughs) Yeah, and that is... Mike is referencing the X-Wing miniatures game from Fantasy Flight because Wiz Kids actually they they actually had an older miniatures Star Trek combat game tactical something I don't know but they actually licensed the flight path system from Fantasy Flight that is used in the X-Wing miniatures games which was itself originally used in Wings of Glory and then it's it's modified from there you can because it's not really dogfighting, it's sort of Star Trek ships, uh, you know, with shields and more different crew and that kind of... Well, but, but it, I mean, they're less maneuverable, but it's still kind of the same thing. We'll have to uh, see if we get the chance to, to well, check I mean, out the tales of that. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't gotten to play it, but they've had, they had some extensive video previews before that I've watched, and it's like, okay, this is... This is like 70% the same. It's significant enough to make it different. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of X-Wing, Tantive 4. <laughs> yeah. What? This is ridiculous. I know, right? Yeah, so, so Fantasy Flight, one of their 
I think more than anyone, they do announcements at Gen Con. I don't know who else does yeah. announcements at Gen Con. Lots of people do releases at Gen Con, but you want to announce them beforehand to promote them for Gen Con, whereas... Wizards will for Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, well, that that's could be... the other thing. We'll ask about that. Don't worry, before the episode is done. Right, right. I'm just saying, that's the other, only other one. But yeah, so Fantasy Flight, they announced for the X-Wing Miniatures game, they announced, uh, I think, cinematic scale ships is what they labeled them. And I think the reason their scale is because up till now, and I think continuing forward for most X-Wing ships, they're all to scale. They're like 1 to 270 scale because everything yeah. in the Star Wars universe has a quote-unquote real size. But they wanted to do bigger ships. But there's no way you could do actual capital ships in right. Star if, Wars. If, if you actually did Tanta Four at that same scale as the X-Wings, it would be like a Winnebago. Yeah, it would be, it would be your car. <laughs> so. Right. As amusing as it is to hear that story of Gen Con years and years ago with the X-Men minis and somebody cosplaying as the Galactus Fig, that's just not practical for a day-to-day uh, campaign. No, no. I think, how, how tall was the actual Galactus Fig? About a foot? Yeah. Uh, yeah, somewhere in there. So they announced two of these ships, and one of them is uh, the Tantive Four, which I think you will have the ability to do as the actual Tantive Four or just random Krillian Corvette in the same way that your X-Wing miniature can be Luke or random Chud pilot. Yeah, I, I would yeah. imagine so. I mean, I don't... Yeah, I don't know. Although I will say, because they also have the Rebel Transport, which is slightly smaller, the Tantive Four, well, nobody has seen me, so this probably is not very good, but the demo model that they have, which is still pending approval by Lucasfilm, is was about the length of my forearm. I mean, it, it was actually about as big as my forearm, because I'm not yeah, I mean, it, much it, in it's shape. It's still quite large. Yeah. When I saw it, it was on two, two of the bases that they would put the Falcon on, that size base, it needed two of those. Yeah, and I think, and people can see those. I mean, if you go to, if you go to Fantasy Flight Games, they, they have a video that they do of every day and they've got, uh, you know, an article about them now and, and so you can see what those look like. Yeah, and then I think the, it sounded like this is coming with the, the bulk tran, with the, the, the bulk transport or escape, well, well, rebel well, transport. No, no, every- I, no, the, no, because the, the bulk transport has its own separate price point of like $50. Right. Yeah, yeah, the, and the Tantive 4 is 90 bucks, I think, is the right. price board they're going for. But I think that, I, I don't know what else came with the Tantive 4. The, the transport, it comes with a different X-Wing model, but it also came with, like, rules for playing scenes from the movie, which I didn't see anything about associated with the Tantive 4, although, you know, if you're buying one, you're probably buying the other, although... I, 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 I think they both do that. Okay. They're both going to be, they're going to be doing two different things. They're going to be doing like a campaign play in X-Wing, where you actually do like a cinematic battle, battles back and forth, where you can actually play them. And they're going to have more like a, like an epic version, where you actually can play them, but it's against, you know, very large forces. Yeah, we'll have to see, uh, really once these come out, it's, it's only a matter of time till they come out with like the $500 Star Destroyer. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> the Star Destroyer is like three times as large. Uh, the Star Destroyer is large enough to put the ten to four inside of it. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, times gets very big, a lot bigger, a lot faster than you expect it would. Yes, but I'm going more than just three. Well, I- I'm sure it'll be slightly larger, but just like if you exaggerate. Oh, you, here. you mean when they rescale it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, the miniature. Yes. But it's you can't make it so big. Like I don't. I don't think you can move enough of them at, I, you know, I say $500. I don't think you can move enough at $500 to, right. well, to, to justify I, making I did it. Not know. Did you see the Fantasy Flight in-flight report? No, I did not watch the actual video of it. Well, so I don't know if you saw or not, but X-Wing is, like, easily their best-selling game ever. Like, they have not stopped production on X-Wing since it started. Yeah, $500 is not a reasonable price point, but apparently this stuff sells. Yeah. For Fantasy Flight to say this is our number one uh, selling thing, when you looked at their graph for how much they've been selling, over, like, their growth year over year, it's, like, jumped up 20 to 30% every year the past couple years. Yeah, the X-Wing was enormous for them. And then on the Star Wars front, they also it, it felt like less of an announcement, because we kind of knew it was coming, but they 
right? They had the beta version of Age of Rebellion, the second in the Star Wars role-playing game core book lines. I have it. Yep. Yes, and I'm sure, and then next year we'll get Force and Destiny. Presumably. Yep. Yeah, maybe I should, after after Mike finishes reading that, I should probably snatch it so I can do the uh, <laughs> the review of that too. Well, because I don't want to, okay, I was there at Gen Con last year, so I bought the Edge of the Empire one. Although, did, did you actually have to buy that or did you get it at the in-flight report again? No, 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 uh, they didn't actually give anything away this year, <laughs> which hopefully will stop it from being sold out like it was this year, uh, <laughs> because that was a surprise the year before last, like, okay. or last year. Last year, nobody knew that was going to happen, so I think that's why it got sold out. Because no one, no one really—I mean, people went, but not that many people. So I could be wrong though, because they've had a very big year. Last year was a very big year of Fantasy Flight, as as big as they already were. Yes. But that beta, the the Age of Rebellion beta, should be showing up in stores as well pretty soon. Yeah, but I, I was just saying. I mean, last year I was but, at you Gen Con, line, so you don't have to buy it. But yeah. 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 Last year I was at Gen Con and I bought it, but really, I, I don't, I don't need to buy the beta version of the book when I know I don't have the time to actually, you know, do playtesting play for them. Yeah. And you know what? At whatever point we make time again for like some real role playing, I am not taking notes for somebody's beta. I, right. I'm just not. I. Yeah. So. I mean, when I know I'm going to buy the core book next year when it comes out, I don't need to to buy the beta too when I can just borrow it from Mike. Yeah, on the beta, I realized I was like, oh, why I'm buying this twice? No, I'm not, because the beta is thirty dollars and the real book was sixty. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> I still bought everything. I've spent. Okay, I'm gonna stop doing those calculations. Yeah, it's yes, it's, it'll it's, just make you sad. Yeah, I I uh. It is something I have determined is best avoided. If I'm sitting here in my office and I turn around, I've got the just never mind, never mind the wall, the 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 shelves of normal books, just the the, the big book? shelf I have that has all the role playing books on it. Yeah, I got it's like, kind of terrifying when you if you sit down and be like, how much? Even if I didn't pay retail for them, let's say I paid like two thirds of retail on average for these books. Oh my god, I could like it's a car. Yeah, <laughs> I, I um. I ended up getting like three different new role-playing games from this Gen Con alone. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit weird. Like, I bought the first official published D&D Next rules. I, so it's the playtest rules. It's not the final rules. You can get them for free, and I've had them for a while. I've been keeping up with that. Yeah. Um, the the Age of Rebellion is technically a new role-playing game, but it, it's, basically the, it's basically Edge of the Empire just tweaked for Rebellion. It looks yeah, really good. Yeah. And the only uh, the only real new one I got was Numenera, which is the new Monty J. Cook one. He's the guy who did who helped with uh, 3.5 D&D yeah. 3.5. And I actually didn't even get that book because that 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 book was huge, but it was sixty dollars, and I got it on uh, Drive Through RPG. I got the PDF for like twenty bucks. Yeah, I actually kickstarted that, so it showed up here yesterday. It showed up but at my house. I've read through most of I mean, I've read through probably about half of that book now, and man, that game looks really good. I think. Yes, we will. There will be a re- breakdown of that one, too. So Ghost of Dragonspear Castle, right, was yep. the... And that actually was, if I'm not mistaken, the people in the exhibit hall who had that were Gale Force 9, the same people who had Firefly the game. And apparently um, they also had some over at the Wizards booth. Yeah, well, I thought there I wasn't them. a wizard's booth. Oh well, no, there, there's not a, technically a, a wizard's booth. They were there. They just weren't in the in exhibitor hall. Okay. They, okay. they had a whole room to themselves. <laughs> well, they had a little corner of the um, game area. Right, but there's the, where they put up walls and. Was that uh, was everything over there? You mean like the magic universe? Oh no, no, magic had its own gigantic. Magic's always like the biggest thing. No, yeah, oh, no, yeah. I'm talking straight up D and D. D and D had. Yeah. Carved out a corner of the uh, gaming were, area. Were they selling the expansion there? The uh, the expansion to the board game, Lords of Waterdeep. I did not see it there. So I think they had another room. That oh, was okay. Even more stuff where they they were selling this book and they were also selling the um the, that expansion. Have you had the chance to form any? I mean, do you have any opinions on Ghost of Dragonspear Castle or what? What's in there about D and D next? Or I haven't really had time to review it. Although they just put out another playtest like 
a week before Dragon Con, so I was like, oh, this is not going to be up to date. <laughs> but part of why I bought it was for 30 bucks, it's also an adventure. Like, it, it's a yeah. campaign 1 to 10, so I, even if it's not exactly the same, it's still going to be usable. So. Yeah, well, and, and the public playtest that just came out is that's it for the public playtest. Uh, I think there's one more. Uh? Well, it's, it's, this is either the last one or there's one more, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I was one thinking, yeah, I was thinking it was the last one, but well, yeah, close enough. Okay. So let's see. Okay. What else did you guys see at Gen Con that was nifty? So I got a demo of a game. I'm now blanking on the name of it. What's, what's the one where you play the crew? You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Play the crew, crew of what? Oh, uh, like, uh, cat, cat, space cadets? Yes, yeah, space cadets. Yes, the by the game. Angelsteins. Yes, they've got their new dice game that I got a demo of. Sadly, it was sold out, or I totally would have picked up a copy. It's like two, three v three team game where you're just frantically rolling dice to shoot down the other ship. It was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, that's that's Space Cadets Dice Duel, which is a follow-on to last year's Space Cadets, which. Each person is right where you're manning a different station on the ship and doing a different sort of... Right. Well, I mean, when, when I was did the demo, you had one guy as engineer who was rolling the dice and then handing them off. I was helm and uh, shields, and another person was weapons and sensors. And So, yeah, there was three people, the engineer, and then two other people with two stations and just frantic dice rolling. Okay. Carry on. What else? I got High Command, both the War Machine and uh, Hordes version, which is Privateer Press's new deck builder. Honestly, my, my first playtest, I, I really want to do, I really want to play again because it feels like the overpowered Kador, which is so the theme with them. But it's very interesting. It's very different from uh, most deck builders, both in that it's very confrontational and in how they decided to do. So, so it feels kind of, you know, you you feel like you're playing that faction, um, but it, it's more simplified than, um, oh gosh, what was the Fantasy Flight one? Rune Age? Yeah. So it, it, it was decent. I want to give it another shot. I think I was just, it was at the end of a long day of other stuff, so. Is that uh, is that one deck builder, or is that one for War Machine and one for Hordes, and like they're the same system? They're the same system. They just put each of the factions in different boxes. So there's eight total factions. So they have the four Hordes factions in one box and the four uh, War Machine box, uh, that factions in another box, but they're essentially the same product. So let's see, did, you said you played in the, you, you played the, the Netrunner World Championships, was it Mike? Yes. Yeah, how'd I, that go other than badly for you? <laughs> no, no, it, it went, you know, it's not like I got, it was just one of those things with Netrunner, there is a component of luck, and I really felt like, like, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you, oh, I could have gotten to, you know, the championships or whatever, but after the third round, just my luck was so bad. There were so many times that I was one bit off of finishing a run that I, I had no way of knowing ahead of time that I needed that extra bit. That I was just like, okay, this is a combination of me being kind of tired because it's a Saturday that they're doing this and I had to get up really early and my luck is just not panning out. And I think they're new to events that are this big because I quit in the third round and the fourth round, we started at nine. It was registered to start at nine. The fourth round was going to be starting at 3.45. Oh, my Lord. And it was what seven rounds. What on earth? <laughs> because it was 60-minute rounds with 30 minutes in between. Oh, you cannot have 30 minutes in between rounds. Of yeah. Well, well, and I got there at, like, 9.05, and I was like, oh, I hope they'll let me, like, maybe take a concession, and I'll, I'll get to play in the second round. Because I didn't – I also did not have enough time to really play test beforehand as much as I love playing Netrunner. I didn't have enough to, like, seriously play test, so I didn't expect to do well. I just wanted to have some fun and play and also get an awesome alternate art card that I had no idea was going to be there. So, so I showed up, and I registered, and they might, they probably did not start that tournament until probably 10 to 10.30. Like, everything was kind of behind schedule, and it took a long time. Yeah, so I, I think it's just, they've had, uh, not world championships because world championships is at their um their headquarters in okay. minnesota but the nationals 
the Nationals are what are at Gen Con, and the Na- they've had Nationals before for their other LCGs, but I think both Star Wars and especially Netrunner were just so much more popular than they, what they'd run before. It was, you know, it's just one of those things they're doing the best that they could, but it was, it was pretty miserable. Although everybody around me was really, you know, was really, really nice. Honestly, I saw a lot of L5R people. <laughs> like, a lot of L5R people, which confused me at first when I realized, you know, since the main event was the next day on Saturday, because the Netrunner was on Friday for the prelims, for the champion, for the, you know, the whatever grinding rounds, you know, so a lot of your top players are going to be able to play in that. Um, and still play in Saturday event for L5R if they wanted to. But And also, there's a lot of strategic overlap. I mean, I, I think there's a good reason why a lot of, you know why we like that game and we like L5R. So. Yeah. Did either of you guys go and see the world premiere of The Gamer's Hands of Fate? Nope. Sadly, no. I will say, though, that I was very... Because I actually... I had partially read The Romance of the Nine Empires, which is the new AEG game. Uh-huh. Uh, and they actually had it for sale at, uh, and they were d- giving demo games at Gen Con. And one of the demo guys was showing it to somebody else, and he's like, oh, and you know, this is based on an old, and I knew the system sounded very familiar, but I couldn't put my finger well, on it's it. It's Legend of the Burning Sands. It's Legend of the Burning Sands. It's like, oh, holy, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I'm glad they were able to resurrect it in some way. It was just, the food is water, or, you know, the water for LBS is food, and I guess yep. that was enough to throw me off. And I had only ever read the rulebook, part of the rulebook for LBS, which is probably the other reason I didn't completely recognize it. But it may, kind of made me want that game, but I had already spent so much, and there was already limited space in the car, so I did not end up getting it. And, yeah, and uh it was available for sale at Gen Con, but it won't. I say it won't be out until September, as if that's like very. I think it's like September twenty something is the official release date for for when Romance of the Nine Empires will show up in stores, and they're doing at least one expansion for it. Oh, are they? Yes, that will come out next spring because they couldn't possibly fit all the Kickstarter things that they have to do. Oh, gotcha. So, if it's not yet September, I would strongly recommend you go. Check out the the gamers hands of fate on YouTube. If it's after September, well, you'll actually have to pay money. So you know, such is life. Okay, now uh, there were a couple of other things we've we've hit almost all of them, but there were two other things that I had I had been looking forward to hearing about from Gen Con. So let me see if you guys played them. Did either of you take a look at Freedom the Underground Railroad? No, I did not. Nope. Although I wish I had. I had, heard, I had heard about it, but I, I didn't see, I did not see that booth. I, I, I tried to go around and look at all of them, but it, there's so much stuff there. It's easy yeah, to yeah. I, I saw that booth, but that's just not a game I'm interested in getting just because if I bring it to my group, I have that one player who's going to want to play the other side. You can't. And that'll just get awkward. I know you can't. I'm <laughs> aware you can't. That's part of what will make it awkward. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Note to self, don't hang out with that guy. Let's see. Well, there's an expansion for Suburbia, but that's just an expansion, and it's not out until uh, S in any way. Uh, how about Bioshock Infinite, The Siege of Columbia? Oh, that was out like a month ago. Oh, was it out that long ago? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, I know they, I know they had it at it, and that was the, that is their newest game. But yeah, I mean, Dice Tower had a review of it like, a, yeah, like two or three weeks ago, at least. I don't know how much that necessarily has to do with when a game comes out, but. Well, they, they usually don't get games ahead of time. They usually get it like right when it comes out. Well, have either, okay, has either of you played that? No. Oh, seeing, seeing their video, I wasn't very interested in it. It looks actually okay, I just, area control is not my favorite thing. Yeah, I'd like to try it, but it's a little expensive to just buy blind. And I like Bioshock Infinite, and I, I kind of like the ideas that were around it, but it was just not something I could see myself playing a bunch of. And for like a seventy or dollar, sixty or seventy dollar game, like I've got to be able to play like five or six times. Yeah, least. plastic is expensive. Yeah, that looks great. Okay, so anything else you guys saw, did, whatever at Gen Con, gaming, not gaming? Yeah. I got to, I didn't actually get to sit down and play it, but I got to watch people demo the Eldritch Horror game, which is the new Fantasy Flight game that's basically like Arkham Horror, but a lot more streamlined and worldwide. And it looks really, really good. 
Like, that, that's kind of what I want an Arkham Horror to be. Well, I like Arkham Horror. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of fiddling, but... Well, yeah, they've got a lot of that feel, but it's stuff like it's worldwide, so you actually have to worry about booking passage to places. Like you have to worry about booking passage over sea and over air. And Cthulhu was always more of a global threat rather than a, like a city threat. So, well, yes, he's in, a, he's he's under the ocean in the South Pacific, right? Yeah. Yes. And one of the cool things, like somebody died in the demonstration. I don't know if they actually died or if they were just demonstrating it, but. You can actually go, you can restart, and there's a reason to restart, because in Arkham Horror, if you were halfway through the game and died, you did not restart. There was just no point. In this game, not only is it, oh, you know, is it good to restart, you can go encounter your insane explorer. <laughs> which I found incredibly amusing. Well, you, you gotta take his stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you gotta figure out what he, what he found before he went insane. Loot your own corpse. Yep. Yes. I played both of the new um, AG's quick games, the um, kind of micro games or whatever. Yeah. Spy Hunter, would, or Agent Hunter. Agent Hunter, yeah. Which is fine. It's just, you could, once you know the rules of that game, you could basically have a deck of cards and play the exact same game. Half a deck of cards and play the exact same thing, game. It's fine. It's fine for what it is, but I didn't, I didn't find it particularly compelling. And then there was Outrun the Dead, Card Part of, the, of dead, the Dead. Card of the Dead. That game was also okay, but it really wasn't entertaining to me enough to outweigh its zombie, my zombie fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, I'm, I've never been the biggest person for zombies anyways, and it's like another one of those. And specifically, everything else about the game is okay, but there's this one card called Fog that is the most annoying thing I think I've... One of the most annoying things I've played in the past couple of years. Because basically what happens is you have actions which you can either play for their foot their foot value or whatever they say on them, and you want to get, like, six foot value. It depends on how many players there are. You want to get a certain value, and if you do that, you basically you outrun everybody else. Because you don't have to... You know, you don't have to outrun the zombies, you have to outrun everybody else. We're going to see a re-theme so, where they're bears? I, oh my yes. god, I, I am so tired of that stupid joke. But So so you have those, you have zombies, every turn you draw a card, and then whatever it, what, if it's a zombie or, or an event, you have to actually play it, and then an action, after you do that, you can play whatever actions out of your hand you want. And some of them are like, give your zombies to other people, etc. There's one event called Fog, and what you do is, if you have a zombie, you have to place it in front of you. If you have six zombies in front of you, you die. So what you have to do is, everybody has to pick up all the zombies that are in front of them, shuffle, and then each person takes, uh, it, like, you have to do this one at a time, each person takes a random card from the hand of the person to their right. Then, after that's done, you have to do it again. And then you just redrop any zombies that you have. It was just, it takes so long, it didn't really add anything, it, it just felt like, why did this card get played through playtest? To me, anyways. It just takes too long to kind of go through. For a game that's supposed to be really fun and fast, yes. It was decently fast, I just, I don't know, I didn't find it very compelling or good. I love Love Letter, but the other two, I was like, eh, kind of take a pass. But then again, they're also $10, so. But I'd rather spend that $10 and add a little bit more to it and go buy the new cheap-ass games, which I did. <laughs> because they, they had... I kick-started the Deadwood Kickstarter that he did. for It's a full-color, like, it has all the components, full-color, all that type of stuff. I did uh, Exploding Cow, Unexploded Cow, and then did Deadwood when he uh, did this one. And in between there, he, he has actually taken that money and produced other games in that same cheap-ass style. Some were reprints. One was, like, brand-new. So I got Veritas and Fish Cook. Ooh, Katie likes Fish Cook. Yes, it's, it seems really good. It's like they were both like twelve fifty, and they were missing components, but it was only like one component, so it felt really weird because those games used to be like seven fifty. But the box was a lot nicer. Instead of coming in a sleeve, they actually come in like a box. And the Deadwood actually looked really, really nice because I, I could pick up my Kickstarter since they had them there. And since Jamers was showing the game off, he just took a second and signed my copy, which was really cool. Because I've played that game, that man's game for forever. So what is Deadwood? Deadwood is a game where you are each playing bit actors. You're playing actors on like the worst schlock studio, Western studio available or uh, around. And basically, what you do is you go around and 
it, it's like an economy game. You, you want basically victory points at the end of the game, and you have to decide if you want to work on card or off card. And there are literally cards on each of the sets, and you have to you have to, it's basically just risk. Do I want to work on card or do I want to work off card? And then you get, you can spend money and or points that you get to go and upgrade your rank because you're each a D6 and you start on the first pip, and that's actually your star value. And you want to get higher so you can get better rolls, so you get uh, better paid. So when you work on card, whatever the budget for the movie is, you roll that many dice, uh, that many D6 uh, dice, and uh, then you line it up. So if there's five dice and there's three rolls, the first, second, and third get a die, like the highest dies, and then it wraps around, and then first and second get a second die, whichever are the lowest two. So you want those high, even if there's nobody else on the card, if you're the only one playing you still would get, like, the middle two if you're using the middle middle roll, whatever. It's really hard to explain, but it, it's a lot of fun on, like, a lazy Sunday. I, I really like that game a lot, so. i probably put people to sleep with that description. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that... Yeah, basically. Uh, it's one of those things, like, I, I don't know, I just I really like his games, and you read the descriptions, and the descriptions are hysterical to me. So that was with Deadwood from Cheapass? Yep, Cheapass Games. Come on, Joe. Okay, what else you got to match? You got to match Mike there. I don't know if I can match Mike there. I did one of the D and D next sessions, Ooh. which was yeah, it was it was fun. So they were doing like a table was six people, and they would do you in groups of seven or eight tables. You would all be theoretically in the same session, and so the the final encounter involved. Each table was basically one guarding one guy on one tower of this castle, and there was a blue dragon flying around. So you would be playing against, like, skeletons or whatever, and then suddenly the blue dragon would fly from one of the other tables and be with you, and you would have to uh, attack it a few times to scare it off, and it would go on to the next table. So that was that was quite a bit of fun, and... Definitely looking forward to D&D next, because, I mean, that that experience really excited me for it. Yeah, I, I've liked D&D next when I played it. When uh, My friend who went and played the same thing, somebody at their table was like a gnome or whatever, and actually made a, a successful check to climb the dragon. So when the dragon left their table, she went with it. So she just rode the dragon the entire time. She was just hopping table to table. So when they finally killed the dragon, she just hopped off and be like, I have successfully killed this dragon! <laughs> just, you know, having to make rolls to make sure she, like, stood on, stayed on or whatever. But yeah, suddenly we didn't have that. We just had the dragon attacking everyone. And then we, we both played Hex. Yes, lots of Hex. They had Hex playable. So how it worked was it was a $10 entry fee, and they give you a wristband, and you could play basically all weekend. They had certain times, but it was it was pretty flexible. I mean, it was like 12 hours or so for uh, the biggest days. And then if you won your game, because they basically had five decks, or they originally had five decks, they had to modify them because there were cards that ended up being broken, as in, like, they actually literally did not work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that so was they, one of the fun things was, it's not even in alpha yet, so there were there were uh, I saw several games where it's like, yeah, I did something and it crashed the game. Oh uh, yeah, well there, there's one that uh, it gets bigger every time one of your bunnies dies. So if you have this yeah. massive army, like if it's a bunny deck versus a bunny deck, and they they attack each other, and like all these things die, and it gets all these bonuses, it would just crash the game. Oops. And yeah, at one yeah. point, at one point the uh, the server went down for a few hours. Or for a while, they had to reset it, like, every 32 games was what I had heard. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, it's it's pre-alpha. It's fine. It was cool just to actually even get to see it and play it. So, yeah, there, there was a limited number of decks that they were pre-built for you, but you would go and wait in line, and then you would go sit down and play, and if you won, you got one of these tickets, and if you... Sorry, if you won, you got two tickets, and if you lost, you got one ticket. And then they had things that you could trade them in for. So you actually got Gax the Sly Roller, who is a very obvious um, Gary Gygax reference, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Uh, just for registering, you, you got that. And then they had uh, another Troubadour guy uh, who is usable. And these are both the PvE heroes. And then they had card sleeves that you could get for, like, one ticket. 
they had an alternate art PVE card that a PvP card that you could get for three tickets, and then the the Troubadour guy you could get for five tickets. And you could get as many as you wanted, just as many as you could of those as you could earn. So I think I got one of each, and I think J.U. grinded out one of each as well. In fact, you give me one of your tickets. Yes. Now, are the, when you say sleeves, are these physical sleeves, or are these... Sleeves for your digital, digital sleeves. sleeves for your digital cards. Yeah, they yeah. were digital. I mean, they were worth one. They were one ticket, so they're e- easily the cheapest thing. And that's something they've actually had in the Kickstarter. You could uh, they had sleeves that were exclusive to different packer levels. I know it seems really weird, but since you actually do have your deck represented, they actually show up in those sleeves, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's basically just changing the card art on the back of your cards, yep. right? Yep, that's that's exactly what it is. But yes, you're right. There is. Definitely something very mockable about putting sleeves on right. digital well, cards. Especially, well, it, especially amusing to me because at least in the demos they were showing, you you've got the deck over there, but it's not like you have the hand of sleeves, so you just see one <laughs> sleeve at yeah, any given time. It, it's one of those things that you know it, it's easy to make fun of, but it's also it doesn't hurt anything, and some people clearly like it. I mean, right, in oh, all yeah, sorts no, of games, people are interested in purely visual customizations mm-hmm. of their, oh, no, yeah, their play it's, experience. It's a, it's a great thing in my mind. It's just also, as you said, easily mocked. <laughs> well, well it's, it's kind of funny, but, I mean, I know I had heard people went and grinded just for those alternate art PvP cards and the sleeves because you know you're going to be able to sell those things because they're oh, not yeah. going to be I've, available to anyone, anywhere else. I'm sure you're going to see that stuff on eBay. Yeah. If yeah. you already. Now, when you guys were in Cryptozoic land, did you check out Gravity Well or anything other than Hex? Unfortunately not. I had played most of their other stuff. Uh, Gravity Well, I meant to check out. I just kept forgetting to do it. I just ran out of time, honestly. Okay, so both of you did Hex. What else you got? I picked up a game called Bloodbound that was in the Fantasy Flight uh, booth that I had never heard of, and apparently they had announced once on their website a month before Gen Con. Yes. If you followed our Facebook page, you would have seen that I shared that, although it was a minimum of six players, so I was a little concerned. You yeah, had the chance to play it yet? I have not had the chance to play it. Um, they didn't even have it like out or anything. They just had it in the booth. I was confused. I saw it, and I was like, oh, this." it was in their, their clear boxes that they have. And some of that stuff, a lot of that stuff is, um, they have like a clear bunch of cubes that are, that are stacked or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's display basically. And a lot of right. things they just, they're empty on the first day and then they do the in-flight report and then they put the, the models or the cards or the, you know, whatever right. out for the right. stuff they just announced. Yeah, they're about like a third empty for that announceable stuff. And then there's other stuff that they've announced or that are not quite as big, like, you know, some of the next expansions or whatever of stuff. Of stuff, and I think Bloodbound was in there, so I was like, "Oh, I guess that's coming out." And I just, I mean, I usually keep track of Fantasy Flight games, but I just completely missed it. I mean, there was not that much about it beforehand. No, no, yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, there was. I think there was just the one announcement. Yeah, so I, I have not gotten a chance to play it, and they didn't have it demoable. But I've read through the rules, and I think it's actually a pretty intriguing game. I think it sits between. Something like a, um, it sits between a resistance, the resistance, and it sits between Battlestar. It's more, com- it's more complex than the resistance. There's more to it than the resistance, but it's, you know, of course, nowhere near as complex as like a Battlestar, but it has a lot of that same. Oh, oh uh, you know, I say it has a lot of that same. It's really, whereas the resistance, you're, you're assuming everybody is a good guy, and there's actually like one or two bad guys, depending on how many people you're playing with. In this, you are literally divided in half. Unless you have an odd number of people, in which case one person is actually the Inquisitor. And you're trying to kill the other team's leader, which is the lowest card. There's like a deck of, I think it's six rolls for each of the clans and then two Inquisitors, which you only use one of. And everybody has dealt one of those. And the lowest number is the leader. So if you kill the opposing team's leader, you win. Your team wins. If you kill anybody else, you lose. Your team loses. If you're the Inquisitor, you want them to lose, if I remember correctly. Uh, the Inquisitor worked a little bit wonky, but that's basically how it was. It, it seemed like it had just enough interaction that you got a lot of that, hmm, well, he's that, and that person is that. And since you're basically on teams, you kind of want to figure out who it was. Oh, uh, the one other thing I forgot is you do show everybody, uh, you show to the person to your left 
what your alignment, which of the two clans you are. So you get to see that of the person to your right. But some of the roles actually have reverse symbols. So, like, I might be the blood or whatever the rose is, but I actually have the beast symbol because that's just what my card is. And that's something you have to kind of puzzle out while you're playing the game. Are those the two clans? Yeah, those are the two clans. It's like the beasts and the... uh, It's not the roses, but I can't remember what it is. The the Deva and the Gangrel. Deva slash Toreador. Yeah. Basically. Um, The game was 20 bucks, and I frequently find myself where six... Where I run into more than six people, and when I run into those situations, there's inevitably some kind of game light people, if that makes sense. Uh Uh-huh. So... This is a game I bought for that situation, but it seems like something that would actually be pretty fun. Well, that's not a bad price point either. What I, no. when I saw the announcement, I thought that was, I didn't realize that was a smaller thing. I thought that was going to be like a, you know, $40, $50. No, it, it, it's the same size box as Runebound, but I mean, it's like 13 cards and like a few punch out things, and that's it. Okay. So, I mean, it, you know, of course, it's Fantasy Flight components. I was just, like, I was entirely shocked and it said 6 to 12. I was like, oh, okay, sure, I'll, I'll check this out for 20 bucks. Because I'm dumb. Okay. Jay, anything else? Well, let's see. So, I think I've got two games that we haven't covered yet that I picked up. Okay. One you actually covered amusingly in your Gen Con, your, while we were at Gen Con episode, <laughs> Rise of Augustus. I demoed it, and I liked it, so I picked up a copy, because one of the guys in my regular group really likes Roman, so I figured he'd be up for it. There's not much more to say than what you said in your review. It's at some bingo. level complicated bingo, yes. <laughs> yes, and that's uh, that was in episode 103, well played. Right. Yes. And then the other one I got, uh, which I haven't had a chance to do more than just play around by myself, is uh, Square Shooters, which is somebody took a whole bunch of dice and put all the faces of cards onto it such that you could then, like... I mean, the, the game that comes with it is a press-your-luck mechanic of you roll the dice and you try to get specific poker hands, and if you succeed, you get chips, and whoever has the most chips after so many rounds wins. Okay. I, I picked that up. It, it seems like one of those nice, as Mike was saying, low-level low gaming thing of just really easy to explain, just... Roll the dice until you get poker hands. And then uh, the one thing that I will say I was astonished at when I was waiting in the Fantasy Flight line the very first day was that they brought Disc Wars back. Yeah. With Warhammer. And that entirely confused me until I watched the Fantasy Flight in-flight report and found out that Disc Wars actually saved their company at one point. The late, or like the early 2000s, uh, Disc Wars was actually the thing that um, helped keep them afloat for a while. Well, that's been done, and they're also redoing Battle Lore, which was a yep. line that had been kind of written off by some people as, oh, they're not, there's just isn't a market for this sort of thing anymore. Well, well, I think what it was, they bought Battle Lore, and part of what they were interested in was just the Battle Lore name, and they put out the Westeros game, the Game of Thrones version, uh-huh. which I actually appreciated the, the changes that they made in that. But part of the problem was that they couldn't reproduce it in the same way that the it was originally produced because they basically because of not only the market had being changed for pricing they actually got like super special pricing that there was no way that they could get again so there's no way they could produce it in the same way so I guess it took them a while and they eventually decided to retheme it in their Rune world. Yes, the world of Terranoth. Yes, um, it looked pretty good. Although it is basically the same, and I, I'm not entirely sure how much I like it, although the changes that they talked about seem like they would actually be pretty good changes. I don't know if it's enough to make me care about that game, but... It seems like the biggest difference, fla- I mean, flavor-wise, that like it was always fantasy, but it wasn't really high fantasy, and now you've got a lot more monsters running around on the board instead of, okay, there's a couple of monsters and then a bunch of rank-and-file guys. Right, well, in, in the... Um, they, they even say when they got it, part of it that kind of bothered them is it originally was like a hundred years war, basically kind of simulator, just like his other game, uh, Tides of Iron was a, um, Richard Borg's other game was like a, uh, World War II, that simulator, but you know, that's what uh-huh. it's going after. But then it started kind of doing fantasy stuff, which was just kind of weird. But one, one of the biggest things I think that is going to make a change is that instead of just, you have light units, you have medium units and you have heavy units, they actually, broke it up so they're they're more unique 
and you actually do point building uh, where you're actually building your forces rather than just being told what you're supposed to use, where, which is what that game had been previously. Okay. I guess I'll just keep on asking, do you have anything else until we run out? Because I don't, I, I can't say anything. I'm sad. I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... All uh, poor Chris. I demoed train. Uh, I didn't demo trains, but I actually watched it played and liked it enough. I actually ended up <laughs> purchasing a copy when I got back. Oh yeah, that's right. You did not. Uh, that was uh, you weren't able to come out. Justin came out, so you hadn't played that with us yet. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I quite like it. I really like the idea of doing something with the deck building because uh, I played a game. The game, the first game that I've gotten to play, the, one of the guys that I played it against. I will say it's it's not perfect. There's a little bit too much of okay, uh, the the random assortment that we got was like draw three cards and draw four cards, and I think it's passing station, which just seems kind of broken. So what, for three is draw a card and it generates a resource for you. So he had these big, you know, he started doing that ridiculous uh, deck building thing of I'm going through three fourths of my deck every turn, and I he beat me by one point. Because he wasn't applying it properly to the board. So I, I really kind of appreciated that. Um, well, I also saw that that was kind of a problem. We also got like the draw three, draw two cards, draw three cards, and that card, and stoplight, all in our random eight. So yeah, it can, it can depend. The, uh, the, yeah, the, the draw two costs five. The draw three costs seven, which it's entirely possible to go most of that game without ever being able hitting to hitting seven. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're kind of mutually agreeing to sort of not play things that give you waste for that long. It's actually one of the reasons why I think the passing station is not, or, or whatever it is, the, the one you're talking about, is not as, it sometimes is not as nasty as it seems, although it is right. really good, because the value of an average draw in that game doesn't improve like it does in a normal deck builder, because you, like, there's only one card that gets rid of your normal trains, your copper equivalent, and you're adding waste to your, your deck all the time. But, yeah, I actually, I wrote, I did a written review of that, and the title I gave it on Board Game Geek when I posted it was, Will Trains Obsolete Dominion? <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, perhaps was a little too, uh, flashy are, for are, some are people's you taste. Seriously poking that bear? Well, I wasn't really, I didn't really realize there was a, a bear to be poked, but it does. Okay, technically a troll, but. <laughs> I really had not intended, I mean, I really just, I mean, like I, I talked about when I talked about trains in, in that same episode where I talked about Augustus, it makes me sort of think about Dominion. And I guess games generally, like, you know, what, at some point, what do you say about a game that, let's just assume that we're, we get to that point, but where, you have a game that was really fresh and new and did this big new thing well and brought something along, but then later gets superseded. I, I mean, we don't... You might study old movies in film class, but, you know, people don't go back and watch an old movie just because it was the first one to to use some sort of film technique. You know, that that may make it a significant movie and it may be noteworthy from an artistic perspective, but... That doesn't, you know, I mean, they're okay. That alone everybody does not make a good movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and yeah, like, you, you see that in basically any kind of art form or anything that gets produced like that. Yeah, I mean, and and sometimes they do survive. Like Citizen Kane is still widely considered the best movie, and that's that's kind of unique about that. And and you can actually still call something. I mean, I can say Dominion is better than Trains, but at, at least right now, I would rather play Trains than Dominion. Just. Partially just because I've played a lot of Dominion. Well, to me, the the reason I like Trains, on, on top of the fact that it's very interesting, and I'm like I feel like this is a stepping stone. It, it's good, and I can teach this to basically anybody for the most part. And yeah, it, it's a medi- enough of a medium complexity that I should be able to kick it to like Thanksgiving and be able to get people to play it. Yeah. But it, I feel like it's a really good stepping stone because this is the first game where you're really using that deck building to do something else effectively. Whereas everything else has really been deck building, deck build for deck building's sake, 
Um, and the other games have kind of tried it, but I feel like this is the first really successful game at it. And it's funny because it kind of went back to basics to do. Well, it. would you just like throw Thunderstone out of the bus there, man? I, because well, that no, was I've seen that before. I don't think that was necessarily throwing Thunderstone. Under the bus. <laughs> because that was kind of Thunderstone's shtick. Because obviously there's all you know. Thunderstone was somewhat in the the style of Dominion, but that was their sort of thing. Was that it was deck building with a uh, purpose? But yeah, the, I mean the deck building aspect of trains, you cannot possibly play that with like being like okay, so this is like half of this is just Dominion. Right. Well, uh, well, part of what I like. Sorry, the the point I was trying to make was the the part of why I like it is that you do interact with people by your spacing on the board. But you don't do it by messing with their hands from anything yes. that I saw, and that That's is the true. most uh, the most annoying part of Dominion, and it's like the only way they can build in interaction, basically. Other yeah. than you have to buy this one card because it's obviously the correct choice. Yeah, it's interaction without just I dump curses into your deck, and your different position <laughs> on the board means that different cards might be better for you uh, than other cards. Yeah, I, I don't know. There are definitely different ways to go with the strategy. I'm not sure in the long run if it will turn out that something is, you know, better or worse. I don't know. It would be nice to see an expansion. I mean, I know they've got a, a board you can print out and there may be some stuff, but it would be nice to see a yep. more variety of cards. Like, all the Lay Rails cards are pretty samey. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of it's, a lot of it's samey. Yeah, and I don't know how far they should go. I mean, like, it, you can't know that without doing the playtesting. Like, should you print a card that lets you, like, pick up a cube, or... Right. Well, well and, the cube, or... And there's stuff like, so if you've got one that's, like, five and draw two cards, do you really need one that's seven and draw three cards? Couldn't you have just done one of those and done something different with the other card? But, anyways. Well, at least seven, at least seven and draw three cards isn't a Dominion card. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can have both of those, you would just not want to get them both in the same game like that. Yeah, and they do have, I think, 30 different random cards, so, I mean, you aren't normally yeah, it, going to get... Yeah, it, it, it was just like, I don't want to say a bad draw, but it was just a draw that was clumped in that way, mm-hmm. and I hadn't shuffled the randomizers probably enough. Is I mean, I, I fanned them out, and the, the other people with me picked four cards, so it wasn't like I just dealt them off the top or anything. Yeah, well, I think the, well, and the big thing is you... Is, is the lay rails are the thing. Like, if you're... If two or three of your cards in your random eight are just the lay rails, which are all just lay rails, except you can ignore the extra cost for this train type. Like, if you have three of those in your thing, you should just try again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of felt like it really would benefit somewhat from what Thunderstone did in it, if it classed the cards and said, okay, we'll get two of these and two of these and two of these. It, yeah, you don't have to, but I just I felt like that could have stopped what we ran into. Yeah, oh, I just kind of for I mean, on, honestly, I, it it depends how much if I've there, there's an advantage to the awkward setups, which is that right. they could produce a different feel for that particular game. But I'm I also am not at all hesitant in, in a game like that if there's something that seems funky and bad about a setup, just chucking cards out of it and and grabbing new ones. Right, well, I mean, the alternative is a lot of times you just ignore whatever the bad card is, and you're basically uh, yeah, playing with one yeah. less card. Well, and that's another, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some cards in there that are completely worthless. There's a lot of the threes that you should just never buy, because the express train is better. The four-cost trains are both extremely strong. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so um, I think there's a lot of room that they could do with that game, and I also like that as a model for what could be done with games going forward. Yes, one of these days, one of these days, we'll. I've got, I, I, I've, I've been inspired. I've got a couple ideas running around. Yeah, I think, I think the three of us have both had some ideas running around for this stuff. And one, that's what we can do. You know, once we get around to playing everything else and playing Fire, <laughs> and uh, we can have that real okay. Let's 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 make let's join all the other hordes of gamers who were like, by God, we're going to design our own thing. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if that you know actually happens. Okay, we are definitely longer than I want to edit. But do you have any other Great. games? No, that actually, honestly, is legitly it. Yay! <laughs> other than Seven Wonders did not have an expansion, and he could not talk about the new expansion. Yes, yes, but that, that Seven Wonders is a is a weird game for me in that I 
I think it's still just best played without the expansions. I, I like the expansions. I mean, I don't think they... Subtract. I like leaders specifically. Cities is fine as well. I, I like leaders better than cities. I, I actively kind of... I, I would definitely not play with, with cities. It's It's because part of the point... If I could put it that way, of Seven Wonders is being straightforward, and leaders just adds a little extra complexity into it that it doesn't it doesn't need, right? And that's and that and that's part of it too. Right, like Seven I mean, Wonders is a very complete game. Well, no, I, I get that. More to me is just the problem. I the reason I don't end up playing leaders is it always seems like we have a new player when we're playing, so we don't play leaders because it's just added complexity. But what I mean, I feel like when you're playing with experienced players, leaders really adds a lot because it really helps add to the depth. And I feel like it also kind of counterbalances the swinginess of the guilds in a lot of ways. But then you get used to just not playing with leaders, and then you don't play with leaders or cities when you're playing even with experienced people. <laughs> I also got the board expansion, but I haven't played with any of those yet either. Okay. Well, that... Yeah, yeah, that's that's now we're talking about stuff that didn't come out. Okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's not your fault. We definitely be, we have collective guilt for um, right. The going. We always have collective guilt. We do. Okay. So I'm Chris Stevenson, and for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, this has been Strange Assembly. You can check out more Strange Assembly by going to strangeassembly.com, or you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. You can also see what's up with Strange Assembly by checking out at Strange Assembly on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. You can contact me at Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. I'd always love to hear from you from email or with a comment on the, the blog post for the episode. And until then, never stop gaming. This is Strange Assembly, episode 108. The best four ga- I like how you made it sound like you had overdubbed that in. (laughs) 108. (laughs) This is... (laughs) This is Strange (laughs) Assembly. You got him. Uh... Uh...